You are listening to the Local Hearted Podcast, episode number 21, with Asheville's art appraiser, Terry Vano. Welcome to the Local Hearted Podcast. I'm Meredith Adler, and I am your host. Join me as we get to know the people who create the wide variety of art in Asheville and in the mountain counties of Western North Carolina. We'll also talk with some of the people who create opportunities for our local artists and help them shine. Hi, this is Meredith, and welcome to this episode of the Local Hearted Podcast. If you are new to the show, you can find the archives of the interviews at localhearted.com. My guest this week is Terry Vano, who is Asheville, North Carolina's fine art appraiser. Terry is a member of the American Society of Appraisers and has completed their classes, including an educational boot camp. Her other qualifications include her art history degree from UNC Charlotte and her knowledge of conservation framing. She is a certified picture framer through the Professional Picture Framers of America. A big thank you to Jennifer Pearson, owner of the Frugal Framer in Asheville, for recommending Terry for the show. Jennifer was interviewed for Episode 9 of the Local Hearted Podcast, and you can listen to her episode through the archives. I really appreciate Terry's willingness to come on the show and talk about how the value of art is determined. She covered a lot of ground, including who needs to have their art appraised, what to be aware of in choosing an art appraiser, how framing affects the value of a painting, how to know what an emerging artist's work is worth, and art as investment. I am delighted to present to you Terry Vano. Terry, thank you so much for joining me on the Local Hearted Podcast today. Yeah. I'm really interested and excited to hear about what you're doing. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And we are here to talk about your work as an art appraiser. Yes. I I will say this isn't something I knew very much about, and I want to thank Jennifer Pearson of The Frugal Framer for recommending you for the show. Yeah. And I've been reading a little bit about it, but can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. So why don't we just start with you talking about what is art appraisal? Who tends to need them? Okay. So the most common misconception about art appraisal is that you need one if you want to sell your art or if you just want to find out how much it is. An art appraisal is is done for a purpose, um, either for the IRS, for tax purposes, if you're donating a piece of art, or if it's part of someone's estate after they've died. Another reason to get an appraisal would be if you want insurance coverage before or after, you know, loss, damage, destruction, anything like that. So art appraisers, there's few states that have 
qualifications to be an art appraiser. A lot of times, um, and this is something you have to be careful of, a lot of times art appraisers don't have any formal training. They just kind of have made up their own process. And, and, you know, it's not necessarily to say that they're wrong either, but they don't have to follow any sort of ethics or standards codes. So it's always good to find an art appraiser that is a member of a society, which they pay to be a member of. And then through that society, you take classes. So I'm a member of the ASA, the American Society of Art Appraisers. I've taken all my core classes for personal property through them. Um, I actually spent two weeks at SUNY um, in Purchase, New York, last year, finishing all my classes in what they call an appraisal boot camp. (laughs) Um, So I have had training. There is no such thing as a certified appraiser, um, which (laughs) I get that question a lot. and, And just for, you know, the sake of not having to explain it every time if I don't feel like they're, you know, serious about getting an appraisal. (laughs) because people ask me all the time, are you certified? And I just, I've just started saying yes, because what they mean to ask is if, if you're accredited, which I'm on my way to being accredited, you have to complete so many hours, you have to have appraisals approved by the board. And then they, then you become an accredited member of the, of the society. So that's, that's probably the most important thing that I would want people to know about art appraisals, because before I started this, I never realized how many people didn't didn't know about why you would get an appraisal. Okay, so let me make sure I've got it. You're mm-hmm. saying the main reasons are for IRS purposes, like if somebody's making a donation, mm-hmm. would that be like to a charitable organization or a museum? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and it would be a, a tax write-off. Okay, so that would mm-hmm. be one reason you would want to know the value Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then what else did you say? <laughs> um, if if it's uh, if it needs to be insured. Okay. Which for high dollar art, you know, any if if it's worth the premium that you're gonna pay, I say get it. If it's covered and then it's damaged, they will pay for it to ha- you know be conserved. It's a lot easier to get the money for that if it's already insured. Mm-hmm. rather than having it be damaged and then having to get an appraisal and then trying to get it conserved. If you can prove what you had before anything happens, you're saying yes. the condition yeah. it was in. Exactly. It's mm-hmm. value. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you say high end, how do people know if they have like art that is at that level? Well, um, a lot of times the, the only way I would think people wouldn't be aware as if they, you know, which this doesn't happen as much as people would probably hope, but if you stumble upon uh, an unknown painting by a famous artist at a thrift store or something like that, or if you inherit it from your grandparents or parents, you might not be aware of, you know, the the value of it. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, if you inherit it, they will make it known that this is a valuable piece and I have a client who has an enormous collection and, you know, they are fully aware of the value of, of the pieces, but they need a appraiser to put it in a formal document to give to their insurance company. So it's not any surprise to them. They don't find out that they have something, 
you know, that's worth a lot more than they thought they had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a um, technicality they need to have for yes, the insurance company. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and it surprises me a lot of times is, you know, people that collect art and that have impressive art collections, they don't have insurance on their art. So, you know, say someone broke into their house and stole everything, you know, unless they had pictures, some kind of documentation of them buying it, which hopefully they, they would, you probably won't see any, any money from your insurance company. And that's another thing that I like to stress to people that have art and that are thinking about getting insurance or thinking about needing appraisal services or any kind of services in that regard is to be very organized, keep everything together about receipts, mm-hmm. uh, artist biographies, everything that you could possibly put together about the piece of art that you bought. It makes it a lot easier when I have to go research it and, uh, and give it to the insurance company because mm-hmm. insurance companies are their job is to, to turn it down. So you have to really, really prove that it's, you know, worth what you say it's worth. Yeah. So you're building your case. Mm-hmm. Like you said, before anything happens. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is really interesting to me because <laughs> the pieces of art that I have, mm-hmm. I have because I love, and I don't know that, I mean, this is a naive question. Getting money from the insurance company would never replace that. Right. If it were stolen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, uh, the downside is that, you know, if it's worth more to you because it's, was your grandma's or, you just really love it or it just speaks to you. Unfortunately, that doesn't go over into the appraisal world. They don't, you know, you can't put a dollar amount on something just because someone really likes it. Attachment or sentiment. It has to be a a fact. Yeah. Yeah. So what goes into the appraisal? Like how do you determine? So it's, it's pretty much different with every job. Um, I kind of assess the situation when I get a new job, more often than not, I will go to the person's house unless it's just one piece and they'll bring it to me. But, um, to photograph it in the house, if for insurance purposes is also helpful because then you can prove where it was hanging, Mm -hmm. you know, that it was actually in their home. They didn't just find it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So after that, well, I'll photograph measure, you know, take pictures of every every single marking, the backs of the frames, even if it doesn't have anything on it. And then I will start my research process, which being an appraiser, you get discounts to be members of um, databases, um, which pretty much hold auction records, which sometimes you can find those without having to pay, but a lot of times it's for subscribers only, and then you have to pay to see the price. So I will compile all of that information as well as look at the current art market for that artist or that type of art, which is kind of a huge generalization. And it's important if that artist is living, dead, recently died, you find out facts about the artist, any kind of merits or awards or anything like that. That's all important. And then you pretty much compile it all into a short 
paragraph <laughs> that is convincing enough to someone reading it that that's why it's worth that much. Or that's why it's worth nothing. Okay. Well, nothing. Yeah, nothing's ever worth nothing. But <laughs> if it's not worth as much as they think it's worth, or if it's not worth as much as they paid for it, a lot of times you see people get unhappy about that. But just because something is for sale for a price doesn't mean it's worth that price. It has to have been sold on many occasions, or art of the same caliber on many occasions sold for that price. So it's not... Like, even if it were recently sold, it isn't necessarily... If it... Well, if it's... If, it, if you recently purchased a piece of art, a lot of times your insurance company will... Um, and, you know, every, every insurance company is different. Some are real sticklers, some aren't. But a lot of times within the first year, you can use your receipt. And they might, they might require some sort of document from an appraiser saying, you know, this is worth this, but here's the receipt and price hasn't changed. But a lot of times you can just do it yourself with the receipt from the art. If it's past five years, most of the time, even in some cases a year, they will require a formal appraisal. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks. Let me ask you this. What makes art valuable? That is a tricky question. So just because a piece of art is pretty or is aesthetically pleasing doesn't necessarily have anything to do with its value. Um, you know, someone in high school art class can make something that looks wonderful and it's, you know, someone will pay $100 for it. But the main reason is the merit of the artist, how well-known their art is, how it's sold in art markets, if it's worldwide, if it's in a specific section of, you know, say the United States, like uh, Southwestern art. Some of it is pretty valuable, but compared to Picasso or Chagall, things that are known worldwide and that people will hang in their house all over the world, mm -hmm. that makes it way more valuable than say something that someone in Arizona would buy pictures of a Pueblo, or, mm -hmm. you know, right. um, so that, that's very important. That's probably the most important part is who the artist is. The artist's reputation they've built yes. throughout mm -hmm. their career. Yeah. And another, another thing that's very interesting when you come across it is who owned it. Say some unknown artist did a painting and it hung on Dolly's bathroom wall. Mm. Um, that painting would be very valuable mm -hmm. because of the ownership. The difficulty level also could attribute to the value of a piece. Technically. Mm -hmm. If it's very time-consuming and tedious and, you know, of course, that it would take them longer to make it. So mm -hmm. they would probably want ask for more money right off the bat. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, they're kind of driving up their own prices that way. Mm -hmm. that um, makes sense. Yeah. And who is buying and selling and if the art is getting bought is also an important factor. If no one's bought, you know, a certain artist painting in 10 years, their value is going to drop. If, Even if, like, the supply is low because people are just 
holding on to it. Yeah, and and low supply can, especially with living artists, um, low supply can can also diminish your value. But if an artist has those few really big, really expensive pieces that have been sold for that much money, that makes their smaller art worth more. Mm -hmm. Let's say there's an artist that when people buy it, they keep it. And so Mm -hmm. it hasn't sold in a while. Like maybe I'm talking about a deceased artist. Hasn't sold in a while, but in that case, would it lower the value? I'm not understanding. Okay. I thought you had said that if the art hasn't sold in a while. If if an entire body of collection Mm -hmm. of art, Mm -hmm. you know, say, and it... It would more, this would more pertain to someone who has a really large collection of art that they've done in their lifetime rather than someone that has, you know, 30, 30 or 50 pieces. If those have been out in the art market and have passed sales, you know, say 10 years ago and you haven't seen anything recently, 10 years ago is a long time to go back to get a value. So a lot of times when we look back, we try and find things within a year to three years. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult. Everything is different. It's literally different for every job I've ever done. The things you have to do to do your research and Mm -hmm. come up with your valuation. Yep. Mm -hmm. You have to be creative. Sounds like. Yeah. And it, and it's kind of, it's kind of like being a detective. Um, you really have to look at every single part of who, what, when, where, why, Mm-hmm. How? <laughs> and yeah. Absolutely everything. You probably have some good stories. I bet they're confidential, though. <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's another thing is we have a privacy policy through the ASA. I'm required to uphold that. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I would anyway. But yes. Now, yeah. do appraisers? I guess anything that can happen has happened. Ever come upon like? something that has been reported stolen in the past. Not saying that the client would necessarily know that, but I am sure that they have. And another thing, when we first started, you kind of asked me to describe appraisals. Another thing that people often have the wrong idea about is that we authenticate. We are not authenticators. We are not responsible for getting the authenticity we we like to know that the ownership is real, that the person who's getting the appraisal is the owner mm-hmm. or doing it for the owner. You know, people come to me and they're like, is this a real print by Chagall, mm-hmm. um, which has happened? And it wasn't, but they had bought it mm. under the impression that it was. But what we do and how we figured that out was we had it sent we took pictures, had it sent to a Chagall expert, which, you know, it's, it's an extra cost for us to do that. A lot of times you can do that yourself if you really want to find out and they can often give you a certificate of authenticity with it. But as appraisers, we appraise on merit. We hope that you're being honest about, you know, what, what you have. And if we have any questions about it, we'll definitely find out and maybe not continue with the appraisal until 
further action is taken to find out if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. But we, when we're given a job, we appraise everything as it being real. And in the appraisal report, you write, assuming this is an authentic whatever. This is how much it would be worth. I see. If it's an authentic whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Qualify it in that way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That mm-hmm. makes sense. So what if you came upon something that somehow in your research you knew at some point in the chain of ownership it had been stolen? Is that part of your ethics, what to do about it? Oh, yes. Um, I would not touch it with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> um, I might report it if I thought that maybe they were the ones that stole it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times if it's something that just seems kind of unsavory, I'll just, you know say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you, um, which it hasn't ever happened. So hopefully it won't. But, um, yeah, we're, we're required to, to not, not appraise it. You're prepared to know yes. what you would have to do mm-hmm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. So you must get to see some pretty interesting art. I do. That is yeah. great. Yeah. And it's, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't, did not think I'd be here. Um, Especially, you know, after starting at the frame shop, I thought I'd be here forever, but which Jennifer hopes I will be, (laughs) but, uh, um, yeah, this this is catching on way, way quicker than I ever imagined it would be. And I'm still very new, but I'm apparently the only person in this area Uh that is doing this. So I've gotten a lot of, lot of work. Um, you're going to be busy. Yes. Yeah. How do people hear of you? <laughs> That's a very good question. I really, um, I mean, other than the, than the, uh, commercial from the frugal framer, you know, I had, I had someone call and say they found my website, which I, was good. I'm glad yeah. that it shows up when people search for that. The Haywood County Arts Council referred someone to me, which I don't know how, how they know about me, but I'm glad they do. So I, you know, my intentions were after I finished my last big appraisal job, I was going to go around and to insurance companies and give out my cards and everything like that. But I have not had to, <laughs> I have not advertised like, one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking that I'm probably going to hold off uh-huh. um, because I just accepted a, a job for 52 appraisals, which is probably going to take me six months to a year to do. So that's an enormous amount of work. Are you talking about one collection with 52 pieces? Is that what you mean? Yes. Mm, Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. That's not even their entire collection. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) it's been exciting. (laughs) That is exciting. Ooh, I wish you could tell me stories. I totally get it. I mean, as a social worker, I totally get yeah. what you can. But wow. <laughs> I know. I, have, I haven't run into anything like that would knock anybody's socks off yet. But yeah. I'm sure I will at some point. You, you know, will. Because I'm only a year in. You'll be so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So can we put this in some context? Can you help me understand, like, at what level of value somebody has something that's worth appraising and insuring. Mm -hmm. Yes. So a lot of times 
someone will bring me in a painting and I've never seen it before. I've never, I've never heard of the artist. I don't know anything about what it's worth. So I can't tell them right off the bat if I think it's worth getting an appraisal on. Um, you know, appraisers are notorious for getting people that found something at the thrift store, you know, so our prices are high enough to kind of weed out those kind of pieces of art because, you know, we don't, we don't want to appraise something that's worth less than the cost of the appraisal. That doesn't make any sense. So my cost for a single appraisal, which I, I do a flat rate right now because it takes me, you know, I'm, I'm new. So it takes me longer than it would, uh, you know, a seasoned appraiser who probably charges, charges an hourly rate, which usually is about 250 an hour, mm-hmm. anywhere from 175 to 250. If I do base it on an hourly rate, it's 70 for me right now. 70, 75. So what I tell people when they bring me something and they, they want to know if they need an appraisal. I charge a small fee for research and I look up past sales, give you an idea of about how much it would be worth in an informal document I send. So if it's going to be worth $250, even if it's worth $500, you probably don't want to spend almost 300 getting it appraised. So it's really, if it makes sense for you and your premiums from your insurance company, which, you know, I have nothing to do with. So it really depends on who you have insurance through. Some are higher than others. Some work with high-end art more than others too. So they might be a little bit lower Mm -hmm. um, in their premiums, but that I really don't know. Yeah, so I I would say, you know, if it's something, I'd say over $1,500, maybe. Or anywhere from $1,000. Or if you're appraising a collection of many things that are worth a couple hundred dollars, that might be worth doing. Um, Just because you have, you know, rather than having one $500 painting, you have 10 $300 paintings, you know, it's a lot more money that you're risking. They'd be insured as a whole. Is that what you mean? Um, I'm I'm sure that they insure them uh, separately. Okay. And each one will have its own appraisal. But I don't charge two seventy five per appraisal. If it's the same artist, it's a lot easier to do multiple appraisals because you don't have to do it. You know, you don't have to do artist research. You already know the art market for that artist. So it's really easy to do things like that. So it's it's much more worth it probably to get 10 things of the same artist appraised rather than getting 10, 10 things of different artists mm-hmm. unless they're worth sense. a lot of money. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. And am I remembering correctly from your website, you have an art history degree? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I bet that is a big help. When it you're was. Doing this. Yeah. And, and I kind of, uh, you know, people used to ask me, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> but I, I had always said I, I want to be an art appraiser or do authentication. Um, authentication is very in-depth, very scientific. Um, a lot of people have PhDs <laughs> for that. So not that I don't want to do that, but it just made more sense for me to, to go this route, which I'm extremely happy with. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frugal Framer was very helpful in, in the process too. They've been very supportive of what yes, you're doing. Yes, very much so. And what blew me away when I went to my, my classes for the personal property appraisal, 
was that none, not one single appraiser there had any history framing or any knowledge about conservation. So I was blowing their socks off with all this information I knew because I work at the Frugal Framer. Mm. Um, it's very helpful to know about conservation, about acid foxing or if, if the contents of the frame are acid free. So being, you know, knowledgeable about how the art actually gets put in the frame or, or not, if it's a painting is very important. Can you say more about that? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I had someone bring me, and this was before I, I was doing, um, appraisals, but was happy to do research for people before that too. Cause I kind of knew I was on this, on this road. So I wanted to get kind of in there, but, um, I had someone bring me these lithographs and I, I can't recall the artist right now, but they were really nice and they would have been worth, you know, a couple thousand dollars if they weren't vacuum mounted, which means that there's a tissue in between the the art and the backing, which has glued it together. So the art is not loose in the frame anymore. Mm. Um, that's something that we always advise people on if they have something that they'd say is worth money or if it's signed and numbered. A lot of times we'll, you know, try and talk people out of permanently adhering it to anything, much less uh, to a non-acid-free backing, <laughs> which we, we try not to give anybody ever, but which, you know, wasn't the owner's fault. They, she had gotten them like this and they had been gifted to her. So she didn't you know, really have any say in it. Also, um, the mats on these particular lithographs were brown in the middle, which tells me right off the bat that they're not acid free. Mm -hmm. So if anybody, you know, listening to this wants to look at their art and see, you know, are my mats acid free? Cause you can't tell the backing from it being in the frame and there's probably paper over the back, but Anything that has cardboard in it, anything that's, you know, backed with brown paper, which is not always the case, but it kind of gives you a little sign that there might be something bad inside. Anything brown <laughs> mm. is not acid-free. Um, mats, if the inner core, which is usually a white, you know, you see the white bevel around, it should stay white mm. forever if okay. it's acid-free. Okay. Yeah. So if, if your middle of your mat is brown, you should probably change it. So when you're saying anything brown... If you chose, you know, for decoration purposes to, to frame it in a brown mat, you know, not not the color of the mat, but the anything that was supposed to be white at one point, if it's not anymore, you want to keep it away from your art. Okay, so you're not talking about the brown backing paper. Sometimes. Um, if, if things were framed, you know, and a lot of times people will put stickers and dates, hopefully on the backs of their papers. If, you know, if you get something that was framed before you owned it, mm -hmm. if it was framed anywhere before the mid eighties, probably want to have it reframed because they weren't aware of oh. acid free materials. So a lot of people used and, and more often than not, I mean, sometimes brown paper is, is fine. And if you have a acid free barrier between that and the art, it won't, it won't affect it. But a lot of times when there's brown paper on the back, there's also cardboard as the backing behind the art, which okay. is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see. And that's what will create those, those spots. They look like iron, iron yeah. spots on your art. That's from it not being in a, 
acid-free package. How long does that take to happen? It really depends on humidity, um, where it's at in your house. That is an instance where the way the art was framed had a negative effect on the art's value. Mm -hmm. Something was really lost. Yes. Paper is like a living creature. Um, mm. It grows and shrinks with, you know, the change in climate and yeah. temperature. Like wood. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, it needs to be able to to breathe a little bit, you know, especially anything with oil painting or, or things like that. That's why there's usually no backs on paintings because mm -hmm. the linen needs to be able to breathe. Or mounting something, you know, is strange because sometimes we'll tell people they should mount something because it'll just look that much better. Um, if it's, yeah, yes. yeah. If it's something that they've had for a long time and it's wrinkled or it's dented, yeah, it gets all that out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's that not. It's not necessarily like it doesn't. It never hurts it. Um, you wouldn't want to mount painting with raised in pasto on it, obviously, because it'll squish the paint yeah right <laughs> um, or anything that reacts bad to heat so the backs of and i don't usually paint on canvas the backs of canvas people don't cover those with paper you're not supposed to and if you do you're supposed to leave a breathing hole um oh. and you know a lot of times people are like well i thought that was to keep the bugs out which it is but especially if it with acrylic paint you don't have to worry about it um but with oils it off gases Mm -hmm. So it'll create harmful in the interior gases. Yeah. So if someone opens it and they breathe that in, ah. it's not good. Ah. Yeah. Didn't know this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's also why you don't put oil paintings under glass. That that really really makes it do it. Wow. And then you'll see spots. You know, uh, spots appear appear on your glass, and people think it's mold, mm -hmm. but it's not. It's it's that gas. Wow. Mm hmm. Wow. So is that gas harmful just as like living with an oil painting? Do you know? I, I don't think so. I think only if it's trapped in a really small space. Uh-huh. Concentrated. Yeah. And, okay. it, and it hasn't ha been able to breathe for a really long time. I think that's the only time that you would have to be worried about it. But, it, you know, painting with oil paints and things like that, I don't think you have to yeah, worry no. anything about right. that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. And what about the emerging artist who sells some work but doesn't necessarily know what their work is worth? Or right. How do you so, deal with that? It's very complicated. It really depends on, you know, if a young artist has sold 10 paintings, those records of those sales would be looked at for the majority of the appraisal, but you also have to look at, because the, the price that someone lists their art at, and if it's for sale for that price, doesn't necessarily make it worth that price. Um, so you kind of have to find a balance between what that artist prices their art at and what the art community values their art at. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to have to find other similar comparable paintings or artwork, you know, in the same medium or things like that, and also by someone um, with the same credentials, uh, you know, if, if someone's won a bunch of awards, um, if they've been given grants, you know, you need to find people that have have similar, you know... Uh, Resume. Yes, uh -huh, yeah, to, to compare the art to. 
if they have more sales or if they're more established. So it, it is a bit challenging. And I know that a lot of young artists, you know, are usually starving artists. You know, they don't have the money to pay an insurance company for premiums. But in the case that, and, and I know a local artist who had some paintings stolen a couple of years ago, which unfortunately I wasn't doing this yet or else I would have told him to come talk to me. But in that case, if he would have had, and he, he's an artist that I know has sold um, quite a few things. So if he would have come to me, you know, if it were now, I could have given him an appraisal on those pieces, comparing them to his other pieces he's sold, comparing them to other local, local artists of the same caliber. And he could have probably gotten some insurance from those. Like those. just through homeowners kind of thing? Um, yeah, I guess it depends on, on where they were when they were stolen. Mm -hmm. Um, if that place has insurance, um, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But there's a lot of factors, but at least he could have tried to get something rather than just being upset that they were stolen. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky situation. I probably wouldn't recommend people getting their own art insured just to have it insured just because you know you hopefully you're not going to be the one owning it for very long unless you're you know an artist that doesn't ever sell anything on purpose so i would say the only reason that anybody would ever need to get any of their own art appraised would be for loss or damage and that could be after the, the fact yeah. that they have yeah. sales history. But they need to have good um, records of, of what it looked like, you know, everything they used to paint it, you know, all the materials, all of photos, um, anything, anything and everything um, that makes it way easier and, and much more likely to, to go smoothly. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. wonder how many do have that kind of complete record. I think more and more people do now. Um, I've noticed that more artists are tracking their own sales, um, which is really good. You know, or if they have like, you know, tax free number or something, they have to. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very important to, now, be, to be organized. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it, when you talk about artists tracking their own sales, mm -hmm. is there a way for artists to know like if there's been a resale or like is there a way for artists to track that i guess if they know who owned it before or what gallery it hung in you know a lot of times you know if if it's been sold and then it was sold again chance are probably they won't know unless it's online or you know a public record somewhere mm -hmm. um, or in an auction house uh, which new art rarely goes to auction but the gallery should have those records too. So as long as someone can tell you, I think the initial sale of their art is probably the most important piece for them to keep track of. I mean, I can't, you can't expect everyone to hunt down every piece of art they've ever painted mm -hmm. and find out who owns it now and how many times has it been sold and for how much. So yeah, I think just doing the best you can is, is good. Okay. And can you talk a little bit about art as investment i'm just curious about that because yeah. like i hinted at before mm -hmm. the, you know i might have some nice pieces but that might not be me that wouldn't be why i would be right purchasing yeah so art as investment and this is 
you know, it's usually more directed towards people who have a lot of money in the stock market or are very savvy businessmen or women. And, and they don't necessarily, a lot, I mean, I, and the, this isn't really fair to me to say, but you know, it's not necessarily them not, not enjoying the art, but they buy the art knowing that one day they will sell it mm-hmm. or hopefully. So they keep track of, or they have someone like a consultant keep track of the art market, which, you know, you can find out what up and coming artists there are. Um, any artists that are starting to make more money, their sales are increasing or if they're getting more popularity or if something happens that makes them be in the public eye, mm-hmm. um, good or bad, uh, or if someone dies. So a lot of times the, probably the most common way for people to, to invest in art is to buy art from an artist that is well known, but is going to die soon <laughs> in, you know, the nicest way possible. But cause after, after their death, more often than not, the price shoots up because there will never be any more made. The scarcity. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so that's, that's probably the most popular type of investment. And it's worldwide. Um, a lot of people in China are starting to invest in art, which is driving the price of the art up here. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> which is good and bad. Um, bad for buyers, good for sellers. So it's really a constant kind of mesh of happenings, and it changes all the time. And where is this flow of information coming from? Um, yeah, uh, well, online. Databases specifically ones that have that kind of culminate all of the information about one artist. Some of them give you nice graphs about sales and, and how, say, in 2013 their sales went up, but in 2015 they dropped below where they were before 2013. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably not a good idea to buy them then. Yeah, it's it's everywhere, and it's, it's really people that know what to look for in artists. Mm-hmm. Just like with any other yeah. investment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Can we talk a little bit more about what you had to learn, like the classes you had to take? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What went into you getting, mm-hmm. working towards this credential? Yeah. So when I, I first signed up for the ASA, I kind of just knew about the first two classes I had to take, um, which was an ethics class, which, you know, is pretty um, self-explanatory, but it, I think is the most important part because when you're dealing with people who have wealth, sometimes great wealth, uh, you want to remain, uh, reputable and have a good standing with all of your clients always, um, never do anything that could be, you know, looked at in a bad light, which is why we never have fees contingent on what it's appraised for. You know, I can't appraise something after I help somebody sell it. It has to be completely separate. So after I took my ethics exam, I took the USPAP test. Basically, the USPAP is is the Bible of art appraisers. And it's the, uh, well, any appraisers. But it's the Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice. They They put a new one out every two years, and they address any kind of issues that anyone runs into. So it pretty much tells you, you know, if you have a question about how to go about researching something or, you know, how to correctly address 
a problem, they pretty much lay it out for you, tell you how to do it. Okay. Um, and then after that, did a few online classes, but then I went for my bulk of my classes to um, SUNY Purchase in New York. I stayed for two weeks and uh, took my my intro course, and then um, you take a course on um, researching and writing, and then you take a course on uh, pretty much the law um, side of it. So we spent a lot of time looking at art law about ownership rights. And now I'm uh, I'm completing my hours, which you have to do 2,000 hours of appraisal work, and then you have to send two of your appraisals to the board of appraisal standards. They have to approve them. Then you have to take a, another test, <laughs> which I hear is pretty hard on your specialty. So mine would be fine art. There's also a test on, you know, gems, uh, automobiles, machinery, all kinds of things. But I will be taking the fine art test hopefully in the next year. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yay. Mm-hmm. So, but it all falls under the personal property you said earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's um, anything that can be handled, moved, owned. Yeah, um, anything like that. So, did you have to study all those other things too? No, um, okay. but it was interesting because I was in I was in class with because the classes were kind of broad. They never got into art. We just talked about how to research, how to write a report, you know, things like that. Well, of course, we got into discussions about artists and things like that. But I had people that were um, gem and diamond appraisers, uh, automobiles. Uh, I think there was someone who did furniture, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Someone asked me the other day about a armoire they had. And I told them, if you want me to, I can refer you to someone, but I wouldn't do that job. Okay. And yeah. so when we're talking about fine art, mm-hmm. will you specify the mediums that you'd be willing yeah, to Yeah. So do? any kind of drawing, print, painting, um, anything on paper, canvas, you know, mixed media. I will do sculpture. I try not to just because I'm not as familiar with, with sculpture as I am other things, but sculpture, um, you know, glass, I have done glass, I've done Asian art, but there are people that specialize in only Asian art. So that was a job I kind of hesitated taking also, but I'm glad I did because I learned a lot. So it's kind of what I feel comfortable mm-hmm. with. And I'm always very upfront with someone if I don't, if I don't know anything about it, you know, mm-hmm. I will do my due diligence and find out everything I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might not be something I'm super familiar with. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you'll give an honest appraisal of whether you can give an appraisal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing my pre-interview research and looking at the website of your accreditation association, mm-hmm. there were some things for the consumer to watch out for. I uh, wonder if you might be able to mention those. Yes. Um, so... And I had mentioned this earlier, a, a big, big no-no is say that someone asks you to appraise something and, and they say they'll pay you more if it appraises for a certain amount. Mm. Um, that is very wrong. You won't go to jail or anything, but you will go you know, against the board, um, especially if you're a member. Um, if not, you'll kind of just be excommunicated from the community. 
And the really good thing about being a member of these associations anyway is to have that peer accreditation. Like you have, you know, you have the support of your, your fellow um, appraisers. Another thing is if, if the appraiser offers to purchase your art, that's also a big no, no. And because I do our consultation and I help people buy and sell art as well, I never, I never take a percentage of the sale. I have a flat fee for everything. Um, and I base that on how many hours it takes me to work on. Mm-hmm. So I'll never take 10% of, you know, if your art sells. So that's something that I just decided myself to do just to keep it all kosher. <laughs> so that your appraisal never would have the appearance that it could have been affected by a sale. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if and if I appraise something, I can't do anything with it until I think two or three years later. Um, I would not be able to appraise it again by if someone bought it and needed another appraisal. I couldn't do it. If it was something you had been involved with the sale of, you mean? If, or... if I had been involved in it anyway. Oh. Within the past three years. If I helped sell it or if I helped buy it or if I once owned it or if I wanted to own it. Um, but I... not if you had appraised it. You could appraise something again a few years no. later. Mm-mm. You can't? No. Yeah, if I appraise it, oh. um, it has to be three years before I can appraise it again. Oh. Yeah. Don't really know why. It's just the rules that they've that they've made just to keep it completely unbiased. And, you know, because you might know the person that you appraised it for or something. They just want to keep it very impersonal. Okay. And the other things to look out for? If a, If an appraiser... And there's not much more. If an appraiser offers to buy something from you before they've appraised it, or even after they've appraised it, uh, that is something to be wary of. Um, that's not good business practice on the appraiser's end. Um, if they have an interest in buying it, they need to say that immediately up front and probably not appraise it. <laughs> Let somebody else tell you what it's worth yes. before they buy um, it. Because if, if you have an interest in buying something that you're being asked to appraise, they're going to assume that you're going to appraise it for less because you want to buy it for less. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be kept completely separate. So if you wanted to buy that, you'd have to get assistance from another appraiser to appraise it for you, and then then you can buy it. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I can't appraise anything for family members. So how long is an appraisal good for? How long will an insurance company, for example... Well, like I said earlier, each one I've ran into has been different. Um, the one I'm dealing with now uh, requires an appraisal if, if it's been five years since it's been purchased. And I honestly don't know. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I think it it may differ from, from agency to agency about how long it'll stay insured. They might need you to get a... And if there's some kind of life event, um, saying the artist died or something like that... Uh, you kind of need to not keep up with that stuff on your own, but just be aware um, and know that if something major happens like that, or, you know, if, if someone 40 of those, that artist paintings for an outrageous amount of money, you would probably want to have that reappraised. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. And yeah. now just again, because this is so not my area, is there anything that, would complete the picture that I haven't asked you about? 
I can't think of anything. I think we've pretty much covered everything that I get asked pretty much, you know, every time, every time this gets brought up. Okay. Yeah. Great. And so how do people who need your services find you? So um, you can find my phone number and my email address on my website, and it's Vano Fine Art Appraisal. Um, Vano as in Victor, A-N-O. So yeah, uh, and, and I'm at the Frugal Framer, so if you want to come by and show me what you have, um, you can always call the Frugal Framer and make an appointment with me, or I can you know, make an appointment to come see whatever you have at your house. I'm very flexible. Um, I do most of my work on weekends and weeknights because I do work 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday at the Frugal Framer. So I'm very busy. (laughs) Um, And and, Oh, and one other thing that I would like to address, because people are often surprised when I tell them how long it's going to take me. And this isn't just because I have so much on my plate right now, but a good appraisal should take anywhere from... And I guess this depends on how many hours you work on it. But for me, because I only work on it nights and weekends, I tell people at least a month. And that's because I need to do a lot of digging. A lot of times I wait and wait and wait to hear back from galleries or experts. I'm not their first priority. So that's that's a lot of the time um, that goes into it is hearing back from people. Sometimes people are really good about responding, but most of the time they're, they take a while. And you kind of have to message them a couple times. That's one thing that people are often not aware of is is that it is a it is a process and it is very in depth and shouldn't be rushed mm-hmm. um, because you know the art's not going anywhere. Value is not going to change uh, within six months to a year unless something crazy happens. Uh, so I, I would just say you know be patient in that process. Mm-hmm. Give it some time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Terry, thank you so much. This has been so informative. I really appreciate you taking the time out of that busy schedule to do this with me. I'm really glad that I can get it out there a bit and and inform people because it's it's really kind of a not glamorous side to the art world, but it's something that is often forgotten for art collectors and and artists. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Check out the show notes at localhearted.com for links to Terry's site and all the other links mentioned during the show. And while you are there, if you want to make sure you never miss an episode, you will find a sign up for the Local Hearted mailing list. As Terry said, if you are interested in her services as a fine art appraiser, you can contact her through her website or at the Frugal Framer in downtown Asheville. Thank you so much for listening. This is Meredith Adler for the Local Hearted Podcast. And the podcast theme music, Learning to Fly, is courtesy of and copyrighted by Jamie Noter-Thomas. <laughs>